Good to see everybody. Thank you so much for coming to church today. We're talking about the culture, the environment around us, and how it is becoming more and more secular, more and more unchristian, more and more anti-Bible, anti-church, anti-God, and what we're to do about that, how we're to react to that. If you're going to put something on social media today, please use the hashtag Culture Wars. And if you would like the sermon notes from this message or the series or sermon notes at any time for any message brought here, all you have to do is send an email to this email address and we will get those notes to you. So what is our Christian duty in a godless culture? Should we lobby for our rights? Should we fight for a Christian agenda? Should we work to reform the government? Already we have studied in this series what we're supposed to do. The Bible is clear. As a matter of fact, I had some difficulty in preparing this last message, wanting to get in so many awesome scriptures, passages, and verses that deal with the issue we're talking about. The Bible is packed with good information. So if you order the sermon notes, you're going to get some scripture references in there that I'm actually not going to be able to read today because we don't have time. But if you want to study this thought or, or, or this idea or this principle more deeply, I would encourage you to get the notes. When God speaks to us about how we're to react to an ungodly culture, God um, says that it's about our character. How, what is our duty? What is our responsibility? It's about our character. Let's go back to the story we talked about last week. And let's just um, kind of bring it up to date. We're talking about Daniel. We're using Nebuchadnezzar or the book of Daniel, chapter 3. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, coming in and uh, uh, invading Judah, the people of God capturing some of the uh, prime prospects for his kingdom, making um, them adapt to his culture. And he captures, among many others, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We looked at their names last week. Those names are actually the Babylonian names. We looked at how he changed their names. And we looked at how he made certain demands on them. And one of the demands that he made on them was their diet, that they would begin to eat the way he wanted them to eat. And we could go into a lot of detail about that, but how it applies to us is simply how the culture wants us to adapt to them, wants us to adapt to the modern um, uh, behaviors and mindsets of a secular, godless culture. So the pressure's on out there. I'm sure you guys feel it. I'm sure you sense it. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, there is no way you can escape this sense of pressure to move away from a Christ-centered life, to move away from a Bible-centered life, and to embrace more of a popular culture uh, uh, mindset and way of behaving and, and values that cause you to behave in their way rather than the way God has told you. So one of the biggest examples of how we're supposed to react to the pressure to conform 
is when Daniel responds to Nebuchadnezzar, uh, when Nebuchadnezzar wants him to compromise his values. He wants him to compromise in the area of his diet. Now, the food that they're telling Daniel to eat, first of all, was contrary to the dietary laws that uh, the Israelites uh, knew that they were to obey uh, in many ways. But one of the main ways was that this food had been offered to idols, so it was left over, or this meat or whatever it was had been offered to idols. And so they, he was giving that to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. He was giving that to them. He wanted them to eat that. And Daniel would not eat it. And you know Daniel ended up, this is the part of the story you all remember from Sunday school. Where did Daniel end up? He ended up in the very good students, in the lion's den. So I want you to look at how Daniel responds because what, what you're going to see in this verse, it's actually the verse we ended with last week. What you're going to see in this verse is what I want to talk about today. I want you to look at how Daniel responds to the pressure from Nebuchadnezzar and that Babylonian culture to walk away from the things of God, to walk away from the, the principles that God had clearly given them, and to embrace the Babylonian culture. I want you to look at how Daniel responds. Look at Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. Every bit of this applies to us today. But Daniel made up his mind. Daniel resolved, settled in his heart, determined in his heart, that he would not defile himself. So number one, <clears throat> inside himself, he knew he was not going to succumb to the pressure. He had made a decision before the pressure ever came, I won't defile myself. <clears throat> how many of you know that if you'll go ahead and decide now how you're going to live, then when you're tempted to live differently, that will be a decision you don't have to make. You know what to do in that situation. Does that make sense? I remember we used to, and we still do, I used to be more involved with the teenagers and the students, but one of the things we taught them is that if you, if you make up your mind right now what you're going to be or what you're going to do when it comes to temptation to partake in alcohol or when it comes to uh, participation in drugs or it comes to participation in sexual behavior uh, and you're a teenager and those are the pressures and those are the things we talk to them most about because we know what they're pressured to do most of the time. If you make up your mind now, we taught our teenagers and we still do, if you make up your mind now who you are, if you decide now what your core values are, if you decide before that drug is offered to you, before that alcohol is offered to you, before you're in a tempting situation of lust and desire and you're in the backseat of a car, if you decide before, ahead of time, how you're going to live, then when you get there, there's not a decision to make. You say, I've drawn that line. I drew that line a long time ago, and I'm not crossing it tonight. I'm not crossing it in this situation. So the Bible says Daniel made up his mind. He resolved, he determined in his heart that he would not defile himself. He didn't make up his mind when it was offered to him. He had already made up his mind about that. Are you guys with me? So we set ourselves up for failure when we go, well, you know, I just have to see how I am when I get in that situation. 
well, you're going to fail most of the time if you don't predetermine, if you don't settle, if you don't resolve, if you're not determined that you won't defile yourself. That word defile meaning to taint or stain or dishonor himself with the king's finest food or with the wine which the king drank. Here's, here's what I want to press in on today. So he rebelled against the king and began to scream. That's not in my Bible. Is that in your Bible? He didn't rebel. He didn't begin to scream. It says, so he asked the commander of the officials that he might be excused so that he would not defile himself. I want you to look at, even though he is in a very godless culture, even though he is being pressured to do wrong, I want you to look at how he responds with respect to those who are pressuring him to do wrong. How he responds to them in a way that keeps them open to who he is. That keeps them open to what his message may be. And so he responds with respect. About 30 years ago, um, the late apologist and Christian thinker Francis Schaeffer asked the question, how should we then live in his revolutionary book of the same title? As a matter of fact, if you want to wade in some deep waters, then read the writings of Francis Schaeffer. Just incredible, amazing writing. Um, he is no longer with us, but what an incredible writer. I remember when I was studying for the ministry and when I was in Bible college, uh, we read many of his works. We were required to read them. And I remember this book. How should we then live? If we're in that Babylonian culture, if we're being pressured to surrender our values and to compromise our values, if we're in that environment, in that mindset in our world today, and I think you would all agree, if you're keeping up with anything going on around you, that we are there. How should we then live? How should we live? The importance of that question hasn't changed. If anything, it has only become more urgent to believers. Culture has descended into greater and greater evil. Culture has descended into greater and greater debauchery and violence and corruption. One great writer said, outside the church, the landscape seems filled with modern barbarians. The challenge of Christians, here's our challenge in that culture, is the strong temptation to jump into these cultural disputes and come off as self-righteous, come off as social political activists and holier-than-thou militants. Here's what this message is about today, and I pray, and I ask you to pray for me. I, I, I think that um, what I'm talking about today, what I'm preaching on is extremely relevant. I think you're asking, how do I live then? I mean, Pastor, you said at the end of your sermon, and it was so, I think I said it so eloquently last week <laughs> at the end of my sermon when I said, it's great to be a Christian, just don't be a jerk about it, amen? And that's really what we're talking about. 
That's really what Daniel's doing right here. He has is, he is made up his mind. He has resolved. He has purposed in his heart. He has decided, I'm not going to eat this meat. I'm not going to defile myself. But then we see at the end of the verse, he wasn't a jerk about it. He knew that his responsibility as much as was possible was to show them his God. Was to demonstrate to these ungodly people who his God was. And so what we want to talk about today is keeping the main thing the main thing. I think we need to look around us and we need to see what's going on and we need to be alarmed about it and we need to take a stand and, and we don't need to be weak and we don't need to be watered down. But at the same time, sometimes we can get so caught up in this militant side of being a Christian and fighting back that we forget the main thing. Because the main thing is to win those people to Christ. Now, I'm going to say that again because I needed some amens right there. And here's why. Because a lot of us love arguing that Christians are right and heathens are wrong. We love that. And we love getting on Facebook. That's why I'm off because I, you know, you know, the Bible says the way you fight temptation is with your hat. Grab it and run. Okay, are y'all with me? So I just got off Facebook because I got red hair. Not much. It's not as red as it used to be. It's mostly gray now or some color. Wow. But anyway, I wanted to get into those fights. I wanted to get into those debates. And I'm not on Facebook, and I know a lot of y'all get into them. I'm sure my wife's on there. She probably gets into it too. We have to be careful. We have to be careful because our, let me, just, let me just get right to the point at the very beginning of the sermon. Our main thing is to bring people to Jesus, not to win an argument. Amen. Amen. Now here's what the Bible tells us. Here's what the Bible is illustrating to us in this scripture and in some New Testament scriptures to come. That the most effective way for the church to change society for the better is when the individual believer prioritizes their own spiritual maturity. When you prioritize your own spiritual development, your own spiritual growth, which always results in a lifestyle that honors God's commands and glorifies His name. He had made up his mind, I'm not going to eat this stuff because that... That is not going to glorify God. That is not going to cause them to want the God that I serve. It is not going to bring glory to his name. I'm not going to defile myself, and I'm going to let them know that I'm not going to defile myself because we know he did. He ended up in the, in the lion's den. So he took a stand and did not shrink back from it, but he, but he <laughs> the feral heart, he wasn't a jerk about it. A godly attitude coupled with a godly lifestyle makes the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ credible to the unbeliever. Boy, that's a great statement right there. 
what, what does that really mean, Pat? It means that when we respond with a godly attitude, when we respond living a godly lifestyle, that is the thing that gets the attention of unbelievers. It isn't when we act like them and get in a debate with them and get in an argument with them and get down where they are. That doesn't impress them about who we are in Jesus. It doesn't impress them about our relationship with God and how God can change their life. But when we have a godly attitude and a godly lifestyle, and I'm not saying there aren't situations where you can't get in a conversation. As a matter of fact, I think one of the greatest ways to evangelize the lost, the unbelievers, is to, through conversation. But when you get into a debate, when you get into an argument, when you start hurling those darts, it might make you feel good momentarily, and you might actually win that argument. But let me ask you something. Did you move them any closer to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Because that's why we're here. That's the main thing, and God is calling on us today to keep the main thing, the main thing. If we claim to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ, but we convey a proud, cold attitude toward the unbelievers, then our preaching and our teaching, no matter how persuasive it may be, will be ignored by those who need Jesus. It will be ignored or rejected. So the Old Testament speaks of it in several illustrations I could have given today. But let's look at some New Testament instruction, very clear about how we ought to embrace and live out our primary mission in this pagan world. Let's go to one of Paul's letters to um, Titus, or, or Paul's letter to Titus, one of his letters to his pastors, his leaders. He says, so Titus, when you're teaching the church how to behave, remind them to be subject to rulers to authorities, to be obedient. And also remind them that while they're being subject to rulers and authorities and, and to be obedient, in other words, uh, not to be viewed as rebels, remind them to be ready for every good deed opportunity. Remind them to, y'all know one of the things I teach here is head on swivel. Head on swivel, y'all remember? Remember I told you guys I was a football player and I played tailback and every time I ran on the field, he said, get your tailback on the bench. And <laughs> but one of the things he taught me, and we've gone over this before, is head on swivel. Hardison, you've got an assignment. This is your assignment. But if the guy with the ball goes around there, don't stand here. You've got to find the guy with the ball and the only way you're going to do that is head on swivel. That's how we live our lives every day as Christians, head on swivel, walking around, going, you know what, God, we talked about this in the Everyday Series. I'm your ambassador. I'm your representative. Head on swivel every day. How can I bless somebody? How can I encourage somebody? God, give me a sensitivity. Give me a radar. Help me to see people who are hurting. Help me to see people who need an encouraging word. Help me to know where I can be you to somebody. Steve Green Back in the old days. How many of y'all remember Steve Green's music? Amen. You're the only Jesus some people ever see. It's not that you are Jesus. I know a couple of you think you might be. You're not. But you're his rep. Y'all with me? You're his representative. He says, so be ready for every good deed. And look, 
Don't malign anyone. He should have put in parentheses right there, on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know how God left that out. Twitter, wow. Be ready for every good deed. To malign who? No one. To be, come on. You know what? Now, some people are going to tell you that's weakness. They're going to tell you, oh, if you're a strong Christian, get up in his grill, man. If you're a strong child of God, you get up in his face. That never won anybody to Jesus. He said, you teach them, Titus. You teach the church to be peaceable. Amen. To be, come on, showing every, for other Christians? No, for all men. For all men. Let's look at that in the um, New Covenant version. I love uh, this. Remind the believers to yield to the authority of rulers and government leaders. To obey them. To be ready to do good. Always ready to do good. Because that, i got to tell you guys, and, and we say that all the time here, that's, that's what gets their attention. Be ready to do good. Speak no evil about anyone. To live in peace and be gentle and polite to how many? All people. Notice here that Paul is really teaching us what Jesus had already said. Paul is modeling, teaching us, urging us to model Jesus uh, by teaching us not to spend too much time and energy working to reform the pagan culture. And I know, I know that's what we want to do. And I'm not saying that's always wrong, that we would that we would have influence in our society and in our government and all of that when we have the opportunity um, uh, to reform the pagan culture. But nowhere in the scripture are we urged or pushed to, to reform the pagan's culture of idolatry and immorality and corrupt practices. Paul did not call, for instance, in his day for believers to exercise civil disobedience by protesting the Roman Empire's unjust laws or cruel punishments. Instead, Paul taught Christians to proclaim the gospel and to live lives that would demonstrate the transforming power of the gospel. That's why we tell you all the time, if you want to be effective in leading a lost person to Jesus, tell them your story. Tell them your story. Now you can go to the book of Romans and take them on the Roman road to salvation. Who learned that when they were learning how to witness? If you went to a Baptist church, man, you know the Roman road. You may have never got anybody to walk it with you, but you know it. And I'm not saying that's not important. I'm not saying those tools aren't important. But I'm telling you, they don't even know if they believe your Bible yet. Just talk to them about what God has done for you. Talk about what you were. Talk about the day you met him. And talk about what it's been like since. That's your story. That's your testimony. And Paul here taught these Christians, proclaim the gospel, guys, speak about Jesus, and then live lives that will demonstrate that transforming power. Let them look at you like, you know, I, I was brought up in this area. I actually graduated from high school right up the road. Any Charles B. Acock graduates here? Amen. So I graduated in 1974, platform shoes, disco 
I preached in a leisure suit. I've repented. I got right with God about that. Let me tell you, it's somewhere in the Bible that you never as a man wear a coat that has a belt with it. That's messed up. I don't even know what I was praying. What was I talking about? That, no, I mean before that. But Paul told us, when you want to live as God wants you to live in an unbelieving culture, the Holy Spirit uses your life to draw in the unbeliever and soften his attitude toward God. I know what I was going to say now. So I run into one of my old high school buddies, because I'm telling you, when I was in high school, I didn't live it. I wasn't a man of God in high school. Um... And I'll run into one of my buddies once in a while, and they'll go, man, I recognize you. Uh, what's your name? Daryl Hardison. Oh, yeah, yeah, what are you doing now? I pastor the bridge, and I can see it <laughs> on their face. Now, these are people probably who have denied the existence of God all their life. But when they hear me say, I pastor the bridge, they go, there is a God. <laughs> so your story can help people believe that there is a God. I mean, listen, y'all can laugh all you want to. Some of you who are serving Jesus now, if you told your high school buddies, I'm a Christian, I'm serving God, I'm working in the church, they'd go, man, there is a God in heaven. And they, will, they might turn and believe. Who knows what I'm talking about, amen? Let's look at another passage of Scripture, 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12. <clears throat> this is so relevant. Dear friends, you are like foreigners and strangers in this world. You know what? When you give your heart to Jesus, you are no longer a citizen down here. The Bible says, I believe it's in Hebrews, that you become a stranger and a pilgrim, and now you are not at home here. You are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. How many of y'all remember the day you stopped being a citizen of this world and you became a citizen of the next world? When you surrendered your life to Jesus, you are like foreigners. That means they don't get us. They don't understand us. We are like strangers in this world. I beg you to avoid the evil things your bodies want to do. So what's he talking about there? Our lifestyle. Avoid the evil things your bodies want to do and fight against your soul. Avoid those evil things that that urge you to give in to your urges and fight against your soul, your relationship with God. Look at the next verse. People who do not believe are living all around you and might say that you are doing wrong, so you got to do right. So one of the reasons you live right is not just for you, but you live right for them. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you, they're way more interested in how you live than how you talk. They're way more interested in how you live than the way you express your faith. I think saying it, the Bible talks about the power of the foolishness of preaching to save men. We know words matter, but i got to tell you, if there isn't a lifestyle to back those words up, then your words are powerless. 
He says, live such good lives that they, people who do not believe, that they will see the good things you do and will give glory to God on the day when Christ comes again or that they would come to know him so that when he returns, they won't cower in fear and run, but they'll give glory to God because now they know him too because they looked at your life and it caused them to want him. Let me just give you some things really quick in closing. Just six things, if you'll go that next slide. So God is telling us here, and here's some scripture references, and I'm not going to be able to use all these, but you, you can write them down. And again, if you want the sermon notes, just let me. But we submit to authority. And what does that mean? Paul says that Christians have, are to have a certain attitude, or they have certain attitude requirements and conduct from the scriptures as it relates to their primary responsibility, not to only speak of the gospel, but to demonstrate it. And one of the ways we do that is by understanding that we, we in order to be over, you have to be willing to come under. You can't, military people, who my military, past, present, future military, you, know, you can't be over unless you're willing to what? Come under. You've got to come under. And so there's so much we could talk about here, but this is talking about, as it relates to government, that we are to show respect. And listen, listen, we have government leaders we have, we have, who don't know God and speak against God and are, and are anti-God, and I understand all of that, and, and there are things that are said uh, that, that bother me tremendously, but I will tell you something. The Bible says that those people are your leaders. And, and in these scriptures in Acts, this Acts 4 scripture and this Acts 5 scripture says that the only time we get to, to rebel against them or not do what they tell us is when they tell us to do something that is contrary to scripture. So just because you don't like somebody doesn't mean you get to, you get to as a Christian, just submit, be unsubmissive to authority. The next thing is to serve with a generous heart. This is how we get their attention. Paul's not referring here to some minimal reluctant service and go, well, I'm a Christian, so I guess i got to do this. He's talking about a sincere, this, he's talking about really, guys, up here, what gets the attention of unbelievers. What business are we in? What business are we in here at the bridge? Why? Why do we have this church? Why is this church here? Well, it's here for a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons our church is here is so that we might have influence in the lives of unbelievers, and he's telling us how to do that. He says, um, serve willingly, serve with readiness, be ready to do good works to everyone as we have the opportunity. He knows that the thing that gets the attention of unbelievers is when they see how we treat one another. Jesus said, You'll, they will know you are my disciples when they see how you love one another. When they see how you treat one another, they will come to believe that you are a true disciple, that I'm true, and that you are one of my true disciples when they see how you treat each other. Have you ever been in a church where, boy, you were hoping unbelievers weren't looking? You were hoping unbelievers didn't know what was going on? I, I have. I've pastored those churches. And I was like, God, don't let any unbelievers come today and see the mess we got here. Amen? I mean, if you haven't ever been to a good church fight, you haven't even been to a good fight. You need to go to a church business meeting one time. Make you love to bridge. 
So no matter how hostile people may be, Christians are to be kind servants to them when their lives intersect with ours. We're to be kind servants. How do you act in a restaurant when the service is terrible? How do you act in a restaurant when the service is, when the food is, how do you react? Unbelievers are watching how we act. They're watching how we react. This Galatians 6 and 10, let me just read it really quick. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all men, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. God wants us to be recognized for, for our good deeds. Our good deeds don't save us. Grace saves us. The gospel saves us. But then how we behave and how we interact with unbelievers either is a a blessing and an attraction to Jesus for them or it repels them against God. So God wants us to be recognized for the good deeds we do out of our love for the Lord. And when you love the Lord, you know what you're going to do? You're going to love people. You're going to love other people. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in just came to my mind, how can you say, God God said, how can you say you love me who you've not seen when you don't even love the guy sitting three chairs down from you? But you say you love me. And then speak with respect. We're not to get into verbal wars with anyone, especially unbelievers. Titus 3 and 2 begins with Paul commanding us to malign no one. And this word malign, I dug into it a little bit, it means it refers to cursing or slandering or treating people with contempt. When, when believers speak bitterly, they are neglecting their responsibility to demonstrate the gospel. And then go to the next slide. Let me give you a couple more and then we're done. Be peaceable and gentle. And we've already talked about this a little bit. Titus 3 and 2, Paul says we are not to be belligerent. We're not to be quarrelsome, rather we're to be friendly. And we're to be peaceful and peaceable, especially toward unbelievers. That's why we work so hard not to offend you. That's why we've got people in the parking lot waving before you ever drive onto our property. We're waving at you, we're being friendly toward you. And we got people at the door and people under the portico and people in the foyer and people at the... Um, at the guest services desk, and everybody's being friendly, and we've got gifts for you. If you're a first-time visitor, when you leave today, we have a gift for you. When you, Why are we so nice to you? I'll tell you why. Because we're going to preach the gospel when you get in here, and it offends. So the reason we're so nice to you is we'll bust you in here. Because <laughs> we've got to tell you the truth. But we know that how you're treated, not just on this campus, that's just one example, but what you see us do at the restaurant, oh Lord help me on this next one, how we drive on the highway, that's why I don't have a bridge sticker on my truck today, that's why all my windows are tinted, because when I run you off the road, I don't want you to know it was the bridge pastor. Because they're watching us, man. They're watching us. When we speak bitterly, when we act bitterly, we are neglecting our responsibility to demonstrate the gospel. Be peaceable and gentle, he says. As believers, here's what we need to ask ourselves. 
If God loved all people so much that he gave his only son for them, then how can I, who have received that love and accepted that love, be harsh and unloving towards someone who has not yet opened their heart to it? Are y'all with me on that question? I mean, is that a risk you're willing to take? That I'm going to get on Facebook or I'm going to do something or I'm going to behave in such a way that a person who doesn't even, hasn't even received the love or understood the love of Jesus that I'm going to repel them in such a way that they go, if that's a Christian, I don't ever want anything to do with it. Can I give you all a newsflash? I really should have put this down on the slide. People who have not accepted Christ and Jesus isn't in their heart by faith, they're going to behave like that. But we have Him in us. And so we're to Treat them respectfully. The word gentle, I thought this was neat. The word gentle means sweet reasonableness. And man, you are going to get so busted if you go home today and your wife starts fussing at you and you go, what about a little sweet reasonableness? She's going to ask the first thing you've ever listened to in a sermon and you got that so you could use it on me. And then value, valuing others. Paul says to Timothy to teach unbelie- or to teach believers that they are to be showing every consideration for all men. The word consideration means genuine concern for others. Jesus said in Matthew 11, look what Jesus said. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I'm gentle. Jesus said I'm gentle and humble in heart and you shall find rest for your souls. So how do we close this message today? Our primary duty as followers of Christ, as we try to figure out, because guys, I'm trying to figure this out too, but our primary role as believers, as we try to figure out how to relate and how to act, and as Francis Schaeffer said, how to live, how do we then live in this increasingly secular culture? How do we live in this increasingly ungodly culture? It is not for me to lobby for my rights. It is not primarily for me to even push the implementation of a Christian agenda. God calls on Pharaoh Hardison. God calls on you to demonstrate his power and demonstrate his grace. That power and grace that regenerated us and saved us were to demonstrate it in front of unbelievers. Changing hearts one individual at a time is the only way to bring meaningful, lasting change to our culture, our communities, our nation, and our world. Look at 1 Peter 2. Again, gave it to you at the beginning. Let's go over it again right here as we close. Dear friends, you are like foreigners and strangers in this world. I beg you to avoid the evil things your bodies want to do. Live holy, he says, that fight against your soul. Fight that. Fight that. Don't fight another person. Battle the evil. Battle the temptation. Battle that sin nature. Go to the next one. He says, people who do not believe are living all around you and might say that you are doing wrong if you if you don't battle the, your carnal desires, if you don't let God bring those under subjection. We're talking about sanctification here. He says, live such good lives. And God doesn't call on you to live good lives in your own power because guess what? You can't do it. 
You've got to have that sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit. He says, live such good lives that they out there in the world, those who, who haven't embraced the things of God yet, they will see the good things you do and will glorify God on that day when Christ comes again. That's our job. That's our job. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me, and I don't want you to go out of here saying there aren't times we stand up publicly. We do. Um, I know what I'm about to say is very political. I know it is. So I'll give you all something to go home and remember. <laughs> but one of the things I appreciated about the march on Saturday, is that when the life march was? Was that Saturday? March for life? I appreciated two things. I appreciated the words of our vice president. And I don't know if you heard his words or not, but I would encourage you to go because he, this is what he talked about. It was amazing. I thought he's already heard my sermon. <laughs> he, talked about, he talked about how weak, how he was so proud of them for demonstrating for life, but then he said, but we, we've got to be kind. We've got to be gentle, and we've got to be loving. And, and I wish you would just go back and listen to his words. Very, very powerful. He said, we are never going to have life the way we know God wants if we don't convey our message in a loving, respectful way. And when he said that, I thought, that's precisely the message I'm preaching. We're never going to get people to come to receive Christ as long as we're arguing and belligerent and as long as we've got to win the argument. You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to win the argument. You don't have to be weak either. Meekness is not weakness. You can be strong. You can be a powerful Christian. You know, I know this sounds so almost ridiculous, but just be like Jesus. That's how Jesus was. That's the way Jesus was. Matter of fact, Jesus' harshest words, his sternest words, were for religious people. It wasn't for the alcoholic. It wasn't for the drug addict. It wasn't for the prostitute. His words for them was love and forgiveness and grace. He was hard on people who claimed all this Religious knowledge and theology and all of that. And all that's good. Religious knowledge, theology, all that's good. But sometimes it makes men proud, especially in the case of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all that crowd. They didn't even have a relationship with God, but they were an expert on God. How many of you know it's pretty important to have a relationship with God? You want to know all you can. You want to study all you can. But do you, where are you with him? Where are you in your relationship with him? I hope I made sense today. I was a little nervous about this message. I, I hope it came across the way God wanted it to. I started to say the way I wanted it to, but that's never good. I wanted to come across the way God wanted it to. So just go out there, guys. Be a strong, uncompromising. The Bible says Daniel would not defile himself. But then he was respectful, and he was gentle, and he was kind. And later became, rose up in the ranks and became the interpreter. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar called on the wisdom of Daniel and the insight of Daniel. And that's what happens when you have that heart of Jesus toward people. Amen.
Let's all stand together. Let me just pray over you before you go. And I'm going to be up here um, after the sermon, and I'm going to ask my prayer team to come, and, and we'll have staff members up here. If we can pray for you before you go home, we will. Hey, if you're new to this whole Church Bible Jesus thing, we got some free material right over here. If you want to pick some of that up and give it to a friend who's seeking, then we would love for them to have it. It's right over here behind this cameraman. There'll be somebody there to meet you. Uh, if you're a first-time guest, we have a gift for you on the way out. We're so glad you came to the bridge today. Uh, if you're looking for a church, we're glad you're here taking a look at us. Our website gives a lot of great information, bridgechurch.cc. So we encourage you to go there. We just love you guys, and thank you for being in church today. Father, thank you uh, for your word to us today. And, and I'm not sure I did a really good job um, breaking it down so we can consume it. But I pray that your Holy Spirit will take the truth of the message and integrate it into our hearts, that we might walk it out, that we might live it. That if we go home with any thought or one single thought, that it would be keep the main thing, the main thing. And the main thing is getting people to Jesus, not winning an argument. And the other thing that I hope people will go home with is that meekness isn't weakness. And when we're humble and when we're meek, it doesn't mean we're weak. Help us lead many men and women and boys and girls to Jesus in the days ahead. It is in your name we pray, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. Appreciate you being here.